Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening in to today's broadcast of VORW International, going out to you online via TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Pocket Casts, iHeartRadio, and many other platforms. This broadcast is also going out over AM540 KYAH, Utah's Talk Authority, also going out on the International Shortwave, 7780 kHz, WRMI, Radio Miami International. So thank you for tuning in. Today's broadcast is going to be a pretty unique broadcast, especially as, as many of my programs lately have, they have structure to it, but it hasn't really been a very tight radio show, so to speak. It hasn't been very fast-paced or... Uh, really just structured completely. This is going to be a different broadcast, though. Today is going to be one topic, one topic only, and we're going to be featuring lots of uh, listener correspondence in several forms. Today's broadcast is going to be all about COVID-19. I had done a number of shows about COVID-19 earlier in the year, because uh, as it was an emerging issue, even back in January, It was something that caught my eye early, and I had been following very, very closely. And as a result, I ended up discussing it quite a bit, especially the early outbreaks and the early uh, stages uh, of the pandemic. And I was continuing to discuss it until on YouTube, YouTube didn't like whatever I said. I I still don't know what it was that I did or said or talked about, Um, But they didn't like it. They removed a lot of that stuff that I discussed about COVID from the site. So I said, okay, well, I'll take that as a sign from the the powers that be uh, to put the brakes on things. So that's what I had been doing for a while. But I thought, well, I I still want to discuss it because let's be honest, COVID-19 has probably been the biggest uh, issue, the biggest event of this entire year. It's kind of surreal how that is, you know, I remember around New Year's, I was up in New York and I was I was actually watching on television, you know, the ball drop in Times Square, and I was thinking about 2020, and I was thinking to myself, I wonder what type of year this will be. I had a feeling that it was going to be a big year, but I did not know, <laughs> little did I know that it would be one in this regard. I thought it was really going to be a year centered around the presidential election exclusively. And I thought, you know, it was going to get crazy, um, but it would just be, you know, the, the partisan divide, etc. And I thought that's what that's what the big issue of 2020 was going to be. I, I did not know that <laughs> this was going to, to uh, play out the way that it did. But obviously, coronavirus. Well, the respiratory virus, it originated, at least believed, uh, in the Wuhan, China area. That's where the first outbreak was, uh, starting in December of 2019, and then really ramping up in January of 2020. It then began spreading throughout the globe, starting major outbreaks in Iran, Italy, New York City, and then spreading rapidly around the world. It was declared a public health emergency of international concern by the World Health Organization on January 30th, 2020, It was declared a pandemic on March 11th. And currently, as of September 18th, there are over 30 million 
400,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 around the world and 951 confirmed deaths. Of the 30 million cases, 22 million are recovered. Countries with the largest outbreaks include the United States, India, Brazil, Russia, uh, followed by Peru, Colombia, Mexico, South Africa. Uh, Countries in Europe with large outbreaks also include Spain, France, the UK. Uh, Many other countries around the world also have had very large outbreaks. The pandemic has caused global social and economic disruption, including the largest global recession since the Great Depression. And according to estimates, up to 100 million people have fallen into extreme poverty. And as we know, authorities worldwide have responded to this uh, by implementing travel restrictions, lockdowns, uh, hazard controls, and uh, many, many closures of all sorts of of facilities, workplaces, schools, etc., to slow the spread of the disease. So it, it has really been, I think, a huge disruption to life. And I think if there's one thing that I think we could all collectively agree on, regardless of our personal views on this virus, I think we could all agree that it has had a huge impact on the world this year. It has been it has been a crazy time, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Certainly a crazy time. Uh, but because of the significance of this event, I wanted to do a broadcast where I focused on, well, what do you guys think about COVID-19? Uh, what do the listeners of this broadcast think about it? It's really just a broadcast for the next hour, uh, an open forum for discussion on COVID-19, what your thoughts, your feelings on it are, uh, whether you think it's an extremely serious issue or if you think it's all one big uh, blown out of proportion uh, issue. Do you think the world overreacted on it? Do you think that this has all been set up, uh, that it has been coordinated by individuals with ulterior motives, or do you think that this is just a bad disease and now we are facing the fallout? In this next broadcast, you're going to hear opinions and viewpoints that you may not necessarily agree with, but that is the whole purpose of this broadcast. It's not going to be one collective discussion one way or another. It's a program without an agenda to allow individuals on any side, whoever writes in and corresponds, it gives them the opportunity to share their two cents. And the way I orchestrate these broadcasts, I'm not going to tell you what to think or what to feel or how you should act or how you shouldn't act. I want you to decide. Use critical thought. I hate it when sometimes these organizations try to spoon feed something to you one way or another, you know, do this, don't do that, think this, think that. No, listen to what everyone's saying, examine the situation, and think critically, and think for yourself. That's the most important thing, and I hope, if anything, at that. And I hope, if anything at all, ladies and gentlemen, this broadcast can help you do just that by examining and digesting these various opinions which you are about to hear. So without further ado, let's get into our first piece of listener correspondence. If you do want to write in, by the way, if you're tuned in, reception reports, pieces of feedback are welcome at v-o-r-w-i-n-f-o at gmail.com. 
That email address will be repeated again during some of the breaks. But starting off the broadcast, we have an email coming in from an anonymous listener writing, I am a security guard at a prestigious art museum in a major American city. Tomorrow, we are opening up the inside of the museum for the first time since quarantine. We released a letter of concern about transparency and employee safety and health because the senior committee wasn't communicating with us. We sent this to all colleagues to gain solidarity amongst other alienated departments. The museum, in turn, has now been more transparent, but still unresponsive to some concerns and questions about operation. My front-of-house workers in security and other departments are very worried about tomorrow. Many of the front-of-house workers are the lowest paid in the museum. When we open up on the inside, we will no longer receive hazard pay, which could greatly affect some individuals, especially sole providers and elderly workers who have unplanned costs due to the pandemic. Their spouses could also be laid off and so on. I'd like to say to everyone, if you plan to visit a museum, please be empathetic, responsible, and rational with your visit. Also, feel free to share with management if you think that accommodations like social distancing, room capacity, etc. are not adequate. And complain to the management if you think they are not treating their workers right. I want to prevent another spike in cases due to bad decision-making. So that email came in from a listener, uh, obviously works security at this art museum, uh, and obviously has some frustrations between you know communication issues, uh, and I, it seems to me just different ideas and means of going about things, right, between some of the, the workers and the higher management. I think obviously... The pandemic has really thrown has thrown off so many procedures this year uh, that now you have all these different organizations trying to scramble you know, how to cope, how to sufficiently do things at this point, how to abide by uh, regulations, and how to encourage people to even show up in the first place. Obviously, so many places are, are really feeling the economic impact of this. And like you mentioned, uh, the loss of hazard pay has, uh, well, it's going to have impact. So what more can you say? But hopefully things will uh, will really get better, and hopefully there won't be any sort of spike in cases. Uh, but hopefully people will go to the art museum. Hopefully they will go, and they will be responsible, they will be civil, and they will be safe as well, and have a good time. Next email comes in from Jarrett in Ohio, writing... Living in a more rural area of Ohio, we were one of the first states that shut down and started to quarantine. This was a great start, although the rest of America was iffy about doing this, and before you know it, it's been six months, and we're still in quarantine. What makes this quarantine rough is that everyone in these smaller towns and cities haven't had much of an outbreak in cases whatsoever. But since the rest of American cases keep going up, we still have to quarantine. All of these people who are quarantining in counties that have less than 500 cases total throughout COVID are just tired of staying at home, knowing there's nothing you can do to control the rest of America who are out in the big cities partying it up like nothing's wrong. 
I don't even know what the point of this email is. Maybe I'm just saying I'm upset with the way this was handled. It sucks. I'm tired of having to feel bad for going and seeing my family, and I just want this to be over. But hey, at least we got $1,200 each to get us through six months of financial woes. That was going out to Jarrett in Ohio. That is something that I had been thinking about, Jarrett, and, and thank you for writing in. The quarantines, the restrictions, the curfews, uh, all of these things. You know, because I am based out of Florida. That's where I am located. And Florida is a state that never did actually... It was actually one of the few states that never had a huge strict lockdown. There was a stay-at-home order uh, statewide in Florida for about a month. And then a few of the individual cities had, you know, their own restrictions. And one thing that frustrated me to no end in the Orlando area, there was this nighttime curfew that was implemented and what bothered me about that very much was that, you know, the logic and the rationale behind the curfew, I didn't really understand it, because here's what, here's what bothered me, and this is just from someone even in, in a city, right? It's okay to go outside during the daytime when all the other people are out, but you cannot go outside at night when no one else is out. And when it's the safest, honestly. So I guess I guess the virus is only active at night, right? It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't go outside. So you have to keep everyone inside at night, and uh, but they can go outside and, and frolic around with everyone else during the daytime. That's what that didn't make any sense to me during the during I guess early on in the year when there was this nighttime curfew, uh, as the virus was kind of spreading around initially. But then that curfew was, orig uh, was was lifted originally in June, then it was slightly, it was implemented a little bit in July, but then rescinded once again. And uh, since that, there have been some orders for, you know, masks to be worn outside, but there haven't been any quarantines and any lockdowns, even when cases across Florida uh, were peaking at very huge numbers in July. Uh, one thing that I had really been thinking about in terms of quarantines and lockdowns and all of that is that the United States is a very, a very large country, right? It's a massive place, and even on a statewide level, you still have that rural-urban divide. So you think, well, you can have these statewide restrictions... Um, because, let's say, there are high case numbers in this one city, but then it's kind of punishing everyone in the small towns hundreds and hundreds of miles away from that who have no outbreaks and might be doing everything right, and it's punishing them, too, for, you know, following all the rules. Uh, that definitely that definitely isn't fair. One thing that I had been thinking about that actually is that during July when case numbers were really kind of going up in Florida, all of the major cities, so Tampa, Jacksonville, Orlando, Miami, uh, all those four that were, in, that were experiencing these large increases 
uh, in COVID-19 infections. So the areas where the outbreaks were kind of had restrictions and lockdowns, etc. Whereas, you know, it was, it was up to the local governments. So what I'm trying to say is that you had the cities that had these increases in cases. They took the lockdowns, but a rural town, you know, 250 miles away did not lock down because they weren't necessarily affected. It was really in the hands of the local governments, but at least in central Florida, the local governments, I think, handled it uh, very nicely, as a matter of fact. I was very concerned that it would have gotten much, much worse, but the situation has improved um, because I think people people really did take it seriously. And uh, that, that really prevented any sort of collapse in the healthcare system. And everything, uh, everything was really under control. So personally, I think it should really be a case-by-case basis. It should not necessarily be you have to shut down the entire state. I think more or less focus on the areas where the worst outbreaks are and go from there. Uh, even localized um, actions if needed, right? That, that's what I think anyway. And more important than that, even, is responsibility in both in both the local governments and the individuals in those areas as well. But my goodness, it certainly is frustrating, though, when uh, you know you're out there, you're not really having to deal with anything, and you still can't do anything. You know, it's. I imagine that must be very, very frustrating. I know I was quite frustrated when I couldn't go outside at night. You know, I, I, otherwise they said you can get arrested, you could get fined for even going outside at night. Absolutely, I was beyond frustrated with that. And you better believe the first night that that curfew was lifted, <laughs> because I'm a nighttime person, I was out. I mean, I was just going for a walk. I wasn't partying or anything, but it was just nice to have that lifted anyways. What I'm, what I'm trying to say, because it was frustrating. Michael in Hollywood, California checks in. I'm writing in because I had the most horrifying of thoughts regarding the coronavirus and how our nation has been dealing with it. How is Black Friday going to go down? Every year we see stories about people getting trampled or fights breaking out over a television. Now add a pandemic to the mix. As much as I want to believe corporations will favor exclusively online door deals, I fear that will not be the case and a lot of unnecessary harm will come from it. I can't imagine how good a deal it would be to even make me consider participating in Black Friday, let alone during a pandemic, can you? So thanks, Michael, over there in California. Uh, yeah, well, Black Friday has always been one of those, uh, I don't know, one of those corporate holidays that I have never... I've never once even considered going... You know, I see these videos of people fighting over a television, and it's just, it's barbaric, you know, it's so, it's just the epitome of, of greed, the epitome of, of petty, petty things, you know, it's, do you realize what you're, what you're beating each other up for? It's, <laughs> I don't know, it seems ridiculous to me, but interesting, interesting point. I think that you are going to see an increase in online shopping. I don't think that Black Friday is going to be at least as bad as some people think. I think you really are going to see a lot of online shopping this year. And, uh, you know, we're going to see what happens. But I think the sales are largely going to be online. 
but I would I would not be surprised if there end up being isolated incidents of you know these large crowds and people bashing each other each other's heads in to get the latest gaming console or something you know I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if you still see that this year because some things never change <laughs> pandemic or not some things they never change thanks for writing in next up we have a piece of correspondence coming in from Nicole in Virginia she's submitting her feedback in audio form welcome Nicole to the broadcast hello I just wanted to talk about some of the good things at least in my experience that have occurred not necessarily due to the pandemic, but as a result of the quarantine. My perspective is from someone who is extremely introverted, by the way. This semester, my classes are all online, and I feel that has improved my ability to retain the information. It's also nice that the interest rates on federal student loans are at 0% for the time being. I've also been working remotely, and feel it has increased my productivity and work performance. I really admire how there are people who use the current circumstances to make lemonade out of lemons, or however that saying goes. For instance, a channel called Jubilee has a series called Odd Man Out, and it has been interesting how they've adapted the show around the quarantine. I also love how at one point during the quarantine, artists were doing concerts live on their Instagram from home. It just amazes me and I feel it's really beautiful how people are able to adapt and try to make the best of any situation. If things ever reach a point of normalcy like it was before the pandemic, I hope some of the ways of doing things now remain an available option along with the traditional ways. Honestly, before quarantine I was feeling a little stuck in life. Right now I'm feeling more inspired, hopeful, and just focused overall. In a weird way, I feel a little guilty for feeling somewhat positive, while so many others are feeling understandably pessimistic during this time. Something I've realized even more during this pandemic is that people are really, really strong, and even if you're just barely making it, you're still strong. Thank you for hearing my thoughts, and I really hope everyone is staying safe during this time. And that was from Nicole in Virginia. Uh, that was an interesting take, but it, it was nice to hear, actually. And uh, it, it's something that you don't hear too much, I will tell you that, because I think you have so many people that really... I mean, granted, these are difficult times for a lot of people, um, but largely you only hear about the negatives. Uh, really, I think so much, it, it comes down to balance. And, uh, you know, that's that's the thing, like, for me... One thing that I actually, one thing that I actually like that that came out of all of this, is the fact that so many establishments, especially when it comes down to food, uh, restaurants, and even other services now, are finally offering delivery. Even last year, there were some places that you know, if you wanted to get something delivered, uh, forget it. That's that's not going to happen. Even some of these third-party sources. Um, you know, like Uber Eats, uh, Grubhub, etc. They wouldn't even cater to these establishments. But now, all of a sudden, because the COVID, you know, ended up changing so many things, a lot of people are reluctant to go out and eat, etc. So many places are now offering delivery or takeout that never had been previously. 
And uh, that's a fantastic development to me, at least, as, as someone who also is incredibly uh, introverted. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it is a nice thing that did come of all of this. Um, but absolutely, one thing, you know, we can't, we can't forget some of the good things that have come of all of this. And, and believe me, there have been. Again, this has been a unique year, and there's been a lot of turmoil, but uh, certainly it has not been all doom and gloom, at least in my opinion. All about balance, if you ask me. You're listening in to VORW, Radio International. We're going to get to some more correspondence after the break. Stay tuned right here. You're tuned in to VORW, Radio International. We are continuing our discussion on COVID-19, reading listener correspondence, and hearing what you guys have to say. Next email comes in from Cody in Ohio. My question for your coronavirus show, what is the number one thing we can do moving forward to prevent another pandemic from affecting us to the extent that COVID-19 has? Uh, now this is, uh, and thank you, Cody, for writing in. This answer is what I feel, and sadly, I think it is bordering largely on fantasy, <laughs> just knowing how human nature is. Um, but, you know, hey, you can still dream, so that's why I'm going to share it. One thing that we need to do to prevent another pandemic, or at least to control it better, I think some pandemics truly aren't preventable. I mean, number one, I think one thing in terms of preventing a pandemic, you do need travel restrictions. You do need to block travel from the afflicted areas. Early on, that was a very controversial thing, but I think that is something that does need to be done uh, to try to mitigate the spread. Sometimes early on, it can make a big difference, you know, but it depends on the circumstance. I think what's more important than that, though, is everyone needs to be on the same page. We need to be receiving accurate, honest, and transparent information on the virus. We all need to know what's going on. We need to understand the facts without an agenda, without saying the virus, you know, is this because, the, the you know, and then, then people go on and add their own, you know, point of view in something that's supposed to be considered a factual news broadcast. Save the opinions and arguing for the editorials, by all means, you have the freedom to do that. But I think the important hard news uh, really should be delivered without spin um, and, and without overwhelming bias. I think everyone needs to be on the same page in terms of what the virus is and understanding it. And at the same time, we cannot be afraid to change our minds. Because in these sorts of situations with pandemics, uh, situations change, viruses change. Viruses can mutate. They can have all sorts of very, very strange uh, effects on individuals. The things that, especially if it's a novel virus, we never could have seen coming. And as a result, there will be changes, right? There will be changes. And that may result in changing your minds, changing your views on the virus, changing your actions toward it. And one thing, you know, if need be, we cannot be afraid of changing our minds either. Uh, for instance, like I'll, I'll give an example. 
if let's say that there is a potential virus that begins to spread and at first we all think that it's you know very very severe um, but then it turns out later on that it actually isn't as bad as we initially think it to be right we shouldn't be afraid of admitting that maybe we overestimated it at first maybe it's not as bad as we think maybe there are still risks but we shouldn't run around flailing and acting like it's the end of the world. And we shouldn't be afraid to change uh, our views on it if that's, you know, reasonably backed up by the science. Conversely, if a virus starts out and we don't think that it's a big deal and it turns into something that ends up being extremely serious, we need to admit that also and then take the appropriate protocols as a result. We shouldn't just dig our heels in and say, no, I refuse to believe that it's stronger than we thought that it was, uh, you know, and, and just be defiant. Uh, we really, I think, need that transparency. We need to just take the facts for what they are and be on the same page. I think that would be the best solution. Do I think, like I said, knowing human nature, that would happen? No, I don't. I don't, but like I said, hey, you can dream, right? You can dream. This next email comes in from Petra. It's a bit long, but it has a lot of good information in it. It reads, To explain my background, I'm a 23-year-old Irish girl living in France, and I work as a teacher in three different higher education establishments. Not as hectic as it sounds, I promise. Uh, this is my second year as a teacher here, and this year's back-to-school season will be very different to last year's. Firstly, the three different establishments are all approaching this period differently. In one, I will be exclusively teaching via Zoom. Another will have obligatory masks for students and teachers, but no change in class size. And as of yesterday, the third establishment is closed until the end of September due to a worryingly high number of students who tested positive for the virus. Myself and colleagues are planning our syllabi to take into account the strong possibility that we will eventually have to switch to distance learning, which at least gives us a fallback as the situation develops. As a teacher, I am in two minds as to how I feel about all of this. On one hand, I am delighted to be able to get back to teaching in a real classroom environment, as I love my job and teaching online just isn't the same. I also think it's better for students to be present in the class as they can ask any questions they may have, discuss different topics with the teacher, and overall it seems to me far more conducive to learning. As a teacher, my primary concern is that my students can thrive and succeed, and I worry very much about students in primary, secondary, and tertiary education, and the detrimental effect that this pandemic has had on their educational outcomes. In particular, students who come from socially and economically disadvantaged backgrounds. Education changes lives in the most tremendous of ways, and taking that away is sure to have potentially catastrophic consequences. But while that may be the case, I also worry for the health of my colleagues and students. Putting a large number of people in a room for up to two hours while the virus is circulating is a ticking time bomb. I know that certain teachers who are older or at risk can apply to teach online, which I think is correct 
due to their vulnerable situation. However, as we learn more about the virus over time, we see that even in the young, it can have very serious effects on their long as well as short-term health. I'm glad that we'll all be wearing the masks, but that's only one part of the solution to this vast conundrum we're facing. There will also be hand sanitizer provided, and I personally plan on leaving all windows and doors open during teaching to ensure proper ventilation, as well as bringing along my own personal cleaning products to wipe down desks and computers before and after use. While this should hopefully be of help in this situation, you can't personally be in control of everything, and here's where I think, at least in some respects, we've missed a trick. Taking into account what we know about this virus, we can be sure that it's primarily spread while in close contact with those who are infected. Firstly, I would say that I object to the use of the term social distancing, as it implies we're distancing ourselves from others, not only physically, but also socially, uh, which does not have to be the case. In my opinion, I like the physical distancing term. I think it's a far more appropriate term, as it speaks more to the concept of keeping two meters or six feet away from others. Moreover, in this milieu of social distancing, I worry about what effect this will have on our own social bonds in the near to mid future, primarily in that I fear we are becoming a far more individualistic society. If this is the case, I think it'll be a painfully ironic twist of fate, as I believe we must act collectively to overcome this virus. Extreme individualism has the potential to be our downfall in the many crises we face as a species, and I only hope we realize this sooner rather than later. This pandemic is going to have a long-lasting effect, even after we've overcome it, which I do believe is achievable. On a political level, I think it's revealed the general unpreparedness of many world leaders, and I'm not even referring to a certain precedent that may come to mind, even when just taken on a European scale. While we haven't done too badly so far, I'm embarrassed by the response of the Irish government, as well as the ongoing political scandals since the formation of our new government, the 33rd Doll. It brings the term fake news to a whole new level, and it's downright dangerous. I'm not a scientist, but I trust that when an expert tells me to wear a mask to prevent spreading the virus, it's for the benefit of me and everyone around me. And it just saddens me that things that should be as apolitical as masks and vaccines have become potentially polarizing. One only needs to look back a hundred years to the Spanish influenza pandemic to see how that played out, particularly in regards to masking up and the so-called anti-mask league of San Francisco. Overall, I'm trying to keep the faith. With each day, we're coming closer to a solution, and I hope we can use this time as a learning experience. To conclude, for anyone who wants to stay up to date with information regarding the virus, I would strongly recommend tuning in to Dr. John Campbell on YouTube. He's an English doctor who makes daily updates on the global situation, primarily through looking at different scientific studies and communicating them to be understandable to the layperson. So thank you very much for your email, Petra, writing in from France. Uh, it was very interesting to hear your viewpoint 
uh, as a teacher, and you know, not only on your general thoughts on the pandemic, but also, uh, you know, how these educational institutions are handling it. Uh, so it's interesting to see. Of course, education has really taken a hit. You know, me personally, I hope that there are ways uh, for in-person learning to take place. I, I, you know, like you said, I know that nothing is perfect, but you can take as many precautions as you can. One thing that I like here in Florida, at least, is that they're giving people the, you know, the the opportunity. If you want to do in-person learning, you can. Um, but if you if you want to stay at home, and you know, just do the the classes online, you can do that as well. And if there is a COVID nineteen confirmed case at a school. And I guess they do tests regularly there. Uh, then the entire school is shut down for at least a period of several weeks, and everyone just does the learning online. Um, but again, I, I agree with you that in-person learning is very important. Education is important. Uh, and one thing that was really sad, I was listening to the news radio today here in Florida. They were saying that apparently in Tampa, Florida... <laughs> there are 7,000 students who I guess are supposed to be taking classes online and aren't even enrolled in one single class. I guess they're just sitting home and doing nothing all day, not even learning anything. They're supposed to be at school. They're supposed to be doing something. And that's 7,000 students not even getting any education whatsoever. And I was thinking, oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good at all. Thanks for writing in once again. And uh, now we have a piece of audio feedback coming in from a listener who'd like to be referred to as DG. Hello. Just for this conversation, my initials are DG. I've been with emergency medical services for 27 years. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, a, a scientist. I'm not a virologist. However, I do know some things. What is the coronavirus? First and foremost, what is it not? That's vitally important because if we're going to be on the same path and do something about this and be successful, we need to all agree on one thing. What is it not? It is not 5G. It is not a conspiracy by the Democratic Party. It is not a plan to remove Trump from office or make him look bad. It's not some kind of uh, plot by the CEOs of vaccine companies to make money. It's not a fake numbers game by hospitals or doctors to toy with numbers to make money. Let's be realistic about this and mature. It's a novel virus that came about at the beginning of the year. It's killed 200,000 Americans and 1 million people around the planet. Now, it's going to continue doing so until we change our behavior, a vaccine is made, a cure is made, etc., etc., there's many, many steps and, and a lot of time it's going to take to knock this thing out. And for lack of better terms, it's always going to be here. So what can we do about it? Well, we can change our behavior. Wearing a mask, washing your hands, staying out of large groups of people, modifying your behavior is not tyranny. It's not stealing your freedom. It's looking for you to be a mature adult and be responsible and most importantly, think about your fellow man before you think about yourself. It's 
very, very important to understand it's not a conspiracy so that you understand the science and the common sense behind wearing a mask or modifying your behavior and changing things for the time being to save lives. It's not to meddle with in your life. It's not to toy with you. It's not to take your freedoms away. A, vac- a, a, a virus, a, a pathogen, it has a will, if you will, for lack of better terms, it's been programmed to survive. It's been programmed to spread. It's been programmed to multiply. And it's going to continue doing so. And so the only stop it, the way to stop it right now is to change our behavior. And how do you change your behavior? You follow the common sense rules and ideas that have been brought about by very, very smart people. I would never go to a politician and ask him how to fix my car. I'd never go to a politician and ask him uh, on, on my health concerns. I don't know why a lot of people are looking to the wrong people for answers. If you want to know something about a disease, your health, or how to stay healthy, or what to do about it, go to reputable sources, go to people who know, go to people who don't have something to gain or to lose by this. Please think about your fellow man. You're not immune. I'm not immune. No one's immune. And just because of a person's age doesn't mean anything. This virus can either not affect you, give you mild symptoms, moderate, severe, or even kill you. And you're not going to know until you get it. Also, I would hate to be a 20-year-old that, or a 40-year-old that gives a disease to an 80-year-old person and kills them. Now, you're not doing it on purpose, but by doing behaviors that you know you shouldn't have done, you can put other people in jeopardy, including yourself. I think things would be looked at totally differently if the this virus was killing people between 20 and 40 years old. You can't tell me that things would be different if 200,000 people died that were young. No one deserves to die. No one deserves to be sick. So we need to look at old people, quote unquote, as valuable lives too. And we need to do something about this because, again, we're not infallible. Our immune systems can succumb to this. And so we need to do something about it to to look out for our fellow man until we can figure this thing out. So that's about it. Again, it's not a conspiracy. It's the real deal. And common sense, maturity, and taking the right course of action is what needs to be done rather than yelling at the clouds or following people who don't know what they're talking about. Well, thank you, DG, out there uh, for your for your feedback, for your uh, point of view. Thank you also for all that you've done this year. Obviously, I imagine in the field that you work in, this has been a very, very hectic year. I, I, I imagine that's a bit of an understatement. One kind of one way that I I look at the virus is that it's analogous to uh, kind of pulling the slot machine. You know, you never what outcome are you going to get? What outcome are you going to get? What are the odds, right? 
you, you really don't know until you get it, and that's not necessarily something that a lot of us uh, ever really want to experience. So that's a good that's a good point that you brought up. Thanks for corresponding. We're going to be back in a minute. You're tuned in to VORW Radio International. We're going to read some more correspondence after the break. Mina in Japan is writing in. I'm from Japan and haven't left here ever since the pandemic started, but my boyfriend is in a suburb of Portland, Oregon, probably one of the messiest places in the U.S. currently. I'm sorry, to interject, I couldn't help but laugh at, at this. That's very true. Portland has, has been through some very, very uh, difficult times uh, with the riots and uh, then, of course, the uh, wildfire impacts, especially in the surrounding area. Um, but continuing with the email, so it has been incredibly hard for both of us. We haven't seen each other for over a year now, and not knowing how much longer we have to wait terrifies us. In Japan, it's extremely rare to see someone without a mask in public, even outside. Even people jogging wear a mask, so it feels really safe to be out. I have to take a train every day to commute to work, and at first I was really scared, but now I don't even mind being in a little crowded place, because here uh, people are very respectful. Or maybe it could be because uh, they're afraid of what other people think about them, uh, that's how Japanese people are. On the other hand, though, I am aware that some American people do not like to be forced to wear a mask, and that they think it's useless according to scientists. However, I do think that until there is no safe vaccine found, or anything uh, you can do to be 100% sure you don't get it, it's the best idea to try and do everything you can. Wear a mask, wash your hands thoroughly and often, keep things clean and sanitary, etc., that way, people in Japan can do most activities without worrying too much, such as hanging out with friends and traveling. Uh, you are not expected to travel to rural areas, though, because they have fewer cases of the virus, and you don't want to take it with you in case you have it. I'm not trying to say masks are everything, or are magical, or they're the only or they are the only way to lower the possibility of getting or spreading the virus, or that this COVID-19 is the world's most dangerous virus. No. But until we have a vaccine and we know a lot more about the virus, I think being respectful and wearing a mask, even just for the sake of others, if not for yourself, is the right thing to do. If you can't do that simple of a thing, it's really selfish in my opinion. Some people are at a higher risk of dying from it, for example, my boyfriend's mother is not in a healthy state, and she has to visit the hospital every week or so. Of course, people have a right to decide what they do and what they don't, but I just wish more people could be respectful, is all. Also, I hope I didn't offend anyone from America if you decide to read this on your show. Uh, thank you, Mina, in Japan. No, I mean, I, I, I think that was a very sensible email. And I already gave the disclaimer at the beginning of the broadcast that, you know, you might hear things that you don't agree with uh, in the show. Um, so all is good there. But really, I mean, I agree with your sentiment, uh, especially what you said at the end, you know. People have a right to decide what they do and what they don't, but I wish more people could be respectful. I agree with that completely. My views on mask wearing, you know, personally, do I wear a mask when I uh, go out 
Uh, I do, you know, if I'm going out and I have to go into a store or something, I always, I always keep the mask on. Um, it's comfortable. I mean, I really don't have a problem with it, and I don't see it as much of an issue. Um, but my personal view on the wearing of masks, I think, you know, you have the, the viewpoints in the U.S. What's, the thing about the U.S. Uh, is that a lot of things nowadays, at least by society, get pushed in one way or another. It's like, some of the leading views are like, um, you know, you should never have to wear a mask, ever, or you should be forced to wear a mask, even at the, the, you know, risk of legal consequences at all times. And I guess my viewpoint, personally, is a bit of a moderate balance between the two. I strongly recommend that people should wear masks, but I don't think that you should ever be forced to have to wear one uh, at the risk of legal repercussions. Now, that's just my opinion. People will disagree, like I said, but uh, those are my two cents, and that's just what I've thought this entire time. I even gave a 45-minute long discussion, I think months ago, about mask wearing, about how I was disappointed that it became uh, such a polarizing political issue, and that you have just these extreme views one or the other. I think... You know, don't wear one if you really, really don't want to wear one. But I strongly advise that you do. It's just a piece of fabric. You put it on your face even for a couple minutes, that's it. Then you could take it off, throw it in the garbage, and not have to worry about it again. It's really not the end of the world when it comes down to it. There's many other problems that we should really be looking at right now. That's just my viewpoint, anyway. Thanks for writing in. Uh, next up, we have a piece of feedback, again recorded as audio, coming in from Cameron. Take it away. Hey, Review Bra. My name is Cameron from San Jose, California, and I wanted to quickly give my opinions regarding COVID-19. I believe COVID-19 is a huge pyramid scheme set up by Big Pharma to profit heavily, combined with a political smear campaign set up by the U.S. Democrats, topped off with a an attempt to put a surveillance society on the foremost democracy in the world by the new world order, the global elitists, and the communists who basically have a conquer or be conquered attitude and find that the United States of America is the greatest threat to their global domination in the future. So if, if us viewers, every single one of us could just look online, we could Google right now event 201 and the first result that shows up, you can click it and then go to the about section and you're going to see that event 201 was a huge pandemic-like exercise that was put on in New York funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, and the John Hopkins Center for Health Security. This was put on in late 2019, and I just find it ironic that in 2020, this is happening in real life, and the people who were involved are all profiting heavily off of the pandemic and um, the response to the pandemic. So the first thing I mentioned was a money laundering 
pyramid scheme, money laundering operation, pyramid scheme by the by big pharma, okay, and also the Democrats, and the Democrats are doing a smear campaign as well. But if you think about it, the Democrats under Obama mandated Obamacare, which made it illegal to be an American adult in the U.S. of A. and not buy a, an insurance policy. And Obamacare was supposedly the best insurance policy you could get. But regardless, if you did not have an, buy an insurance policy, you would be fined. It was illegal under Obama, okay? Uh, Trump repealed that when he became president. And just for the record, I am both both the Republicans and the Democrats, uh, they, they, they both disgust me and I'm ashamed of both parties as an American millennial, um, U.S. millennial, but I'm just talking facts here, okay? So I'm not talking political either way. I, I, I dislike both sides. But anyways, so when Trump repealed, re, yeah, repealed Ob- Obamacare and made it now legal again to not have insurance to be uninsured, um, the big pharma lost a huge potential revenue opportunity from not uh, from not having that mandate from not having that being mandated anymore so they needed a huge economic stimulus and everything from from big companies being funded to try to find vaccines down to um, Purell hand sanitizer everything in the in the in the medical industry has seen huge skyrocket skyrocketing profits and um stocks okay so that's one thing to look at right there and also the last thing that i wanted to mention was okay the new world order setting up a surveillance society against the foremost democracy in the world the united states is is again we are the leaders in the world of of democracy in the free in the free world okay you can see assaults on democracy in other parts of the world such as hong kong and taiwan but we the united states you know at least in the past was the ideal for self autonomy and uh self sovereignty okay so this is a perfect opportunity it look okay, i'm going to quickly name two novels aldous huck aldous huxley's brave new world and george orwell's 1984 both of these stories end in surveillance societies with people being every move of of theirs being basically monitored and watched at all times but in 1984 it was done in a way that people knew that their freedoms were being taken from them right away so people were not happy about it but they really couldn't do anything about it but it still created a big um you know disapproval within the population which but for us as Americans, U.S. of A., you know, that might make us come out, out in arms. In, in Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, people, people begged for their freedoms and liberties to be taken away so they can have a little more security. And I find that's what's going on here with COVID-19. We are being basically baited by the media who is funded by the Democrats slash corporations, big pharma, who are who are fear mongering the population into a corner and anybody who doesn't, you know, support funding for everything, basically from masks to sanitizers to vaccines. If anybody who doesn't support that is 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 basically is not part of the group basically is is basically uh, trying to kill their mother you know what i mean like the crazy headlines that you see when people are saying and stuff like that so 
it's a perfect time for for global elites who would like to take over the United States to to really scaremonger us into a corner and create a willing surveillance society that basically paints us into a corner for the rest of our lives. Thank you, Cameron, for sharing your thoughts. I know some people listening might disagree with that, but again, that's why we gave the disclaimer. This is a place for our individuals to really express their views and opinions one way or the other. And, you know, if you like it or don't like it, that's why I give everyone the opportunity to write in and correspond. You know, don't think when I open up the email, I'm saying only email in with this or that. Uh, it's a blank slate. Use it as you wish. You know, that's what it comes down to. Um, but thank you for writing in. Event 201 uh, was interesting, especially in regards to the timing of it. Um, but, you know, again, people will argue either way, was that purely just coincidence or was there more to it, right? Uh, obviously, Bill Gates, he's really been talked about uh, quite a bit in regards to uh, COVID-19 and uh, COVID-19 related conspiracies. And, you know, that's who Event 201 was organized by. You know, it was this uh, simulation of a pandemic. And, you know, then what happens, right? You get a pandemic. Uh, so that was Event 201. You know, otherwise, I mean, the global elite, you know, they are real. And unfortunately, you do get people in very high places who are evil, right? Who are evil, who are very, very power hungry and are just demented individuals. They're sick people. And, you know, it's a little bit of the conspiracy side of me talking right now. But, you know, you look at the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing, and I know in the mainstream that's been long forgotten, but it's something I still follow. That type of stuff was really just the icing on the cake. Uh, you know, some people in high positions that you would really uh, think or expect better of are, are truly uh, sick to the core. And, uh, you know, certain things, certain ambitions, etc. might surprise you. But that's, again, in my own personal view of human nature, there are lots and lots of bad people in the world. And you have bad people who are you know, homeless and destitute and have no money, and you have bad people in, uh, you know, these positions of power who have billions of dollars and influence over populations, uh, really psychopathy, and all of these terrible traits really have no discrimination. That's the saddest thing of it all. Well, taking a bit of a uh, 180-degree turn, uh, we go over to Danielle in New Mexico who writes... I got COVID-19 in March, before our state shut down, I'm one of the long haulers. I was sick for about three and a half months. People always talk about the physical symptoms, but there are debilitating psychological symptoms as well. The depression, anxiety, and nightmares were terrifying. I was positive I was going to die and I couldn't stop crying and panicking, which did me no favors with the breathlessness. I am better now. Um, but still not actually well. There are lasting effects that have diminished quality of life to the point where every day is a struggle, and I haven't been able to return to work, which is a whole nother mess to contend with. HR only cares that the COVID tests say, and when the, and when the tests come back negative, it's hard to convince them that you're still experiencing COVID effects when you're not supposed to be this sick for this long. 
So you have to go through this whole other rigmarole for long-term disability, which I won't bore you with uh, the details, but suffice to say, too many people are still operating under the narrative that, that you're supposed to be fine and dandy after two weeks. If you didn't die, then you had a mild case, and all's well now. Life has turned upside down, and I've just had to readjust. Not only my career and personal goals, but my whole lifestyle. I can't do some of the things that I used to be able to do, as I still experience heart palpitations, random fevers, extreme fatigue, weakness, breathlessness, and fainting spells. The muscle and joint pain haven't gone away. But it doesn't hurt me as much as it used to. The light hurts, brain fog comes and goes. I feel like I've aged 50 years in the last six months. Doctors say, rest and be patient. Patient for what? Chronic disability? I have no idea if my life will return to normality, and neither do they at this point. Even if there's an effective vaccine and the virus does just miraculously disappear, as so many of us are now walking permanently altered paths as a result of this virus that was supposedly just a bad flu. I'm lucky, though. Many have lost loved ones. Children have been orphaned. People have lost their income and homes. The list goes on. Words can't describe how infuriating it is to hear people politicizing masks and having COVID parties and uh, generally treating the whole thing as it's a joke. As I can assure you, it is no joke. And in order to get better from this, there has to be an environment where getting better is actually possible. COVID doesn't exist in a vacuum. People need to distance and wear their damn masks. Government leaders need to stop making the decisions that they are. Doctors need to listen to their patients. Healthcare needs to be accessible. Employers need to get with the times as far as flexibility and sick leave. And we all need to depend on one another. So I guess we're screwed. There's not a whole lot of relief for us long haulers right now, other than online support groups. I found some of the most helpful people are those having suffered from chronic pain and disabilities for years and are already familiar with how to navigate this type of life. I can only hope this whole debacle will serve as a catalyst for making some much-needed changes on a societal level. On a bright side, this is the dawning of the age of the introvert. Fellow introverts rejoice with me at finally having legitimate excuses to stay the F away from people. Uh, thank you, Danielle, in New Mexico. It's always nice to hear from you, and I'm sorry that you ended up with, a, it sounds to me, a very severe case of COVID-19. And, you know, as I've researched this, uh, you know, as I've read, sadly, cases similar to yours. And I know, like you said, you've looked at these support groups. You know that this has happened, you know, to... Unfortunately, a lot of people, uh, it's not, you know, there's this misconception, you get sick, uh, you know, you sit around, and two weeks later, you get better. Uh, like I said, you know, this disease is analogous to pulling a, a slot machine. You don't know what you're going to get. If you get a mild or maybe even moderate case or asymptomatic, uh, you may very well be okay uh, in a couple of weeks or even shorter than that. You might be all right. You might be able to go and you know, run laps around the block if you want, but uh, there are these situations. Everyone, number one, handles the virus differently. Everyone recovers differently as well, long-term uh, especially. So you get these situations like yours where even months pass, 
and there's these long-term health implications. And, you know, you're left suffering, and it seems just, I think, by a lot of society neglected. It's like a lot of people just expect it to be over in a couple weeks, and uh, you know, how could you still be dealing with this when you got sick back in March, you know? It's, it's, it's disappointing, that's all I can say. Uh, thank you, Danielle, though, for writing in once again, and I really hope that you, uh, you're able to get better, you know? I know that's, it's easy to say that, but hopefully, hopefully things will get better for you one day, I hope so. Finally, we have an email coming in from a listener in Pennsylvania, writing, I live in Pennsylvania and work in a major retail corporation. Working as a retail employee with the public, at first I was very concerned with COVID. Uh, I was one of the first people to wear a mask before it was required to wear one. My experience overall has been a roller coaster, from panic to peace with the situation to anxiety and worry. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot I can do. I try to stay at home unless I am working or need to get necessities. I noticed a lot of the people who refuse to wear masks have somewhat of an angry look in their eye, as if waiting for someone to come up to tell them to put on a mask. There have been a few fights with customers in the beginning, but unfortunately it seems that most people are over wearing masks. I think as a society, we're not used to something like this happening. We're so used to things going in and out of style so quickly that we aren't used to a different way of living. For me personally, I've developed a lot of anxiety over the last few months. I never know if someone I come in contact with at work might be the one to get me sick. I've been practicing deep breathing and trying to keep myself occupied so I don't overthink it all. I know this wasn't all that informative, but I hope everyone out there, and you too, stay safe and positive. So thank you for writing in over there in Pennsylvania, Yeah, working in retail. Retail is a tough field right now as well. I mean, you know, you, you have to deal with a lot of people, and um, sometimes I really do think people come in, you know, looking for a fight. And uh, sadly, you still see instances on the news here and there of people that, you know, get in these brawls and uh, altercations over masks and mask wearing, etc. No, I, you know, I think you have a legitimate point, though, as a society, especially, again, here in, in the United States. Uh, in many cases, everything is so fast-paced, you know. You have a trend, and then you move on to the next trend. You know, was there a time? I wonder. I really wonder, was there a time where mask wearing... Uh, you know, could have been considered almost trendy in a sense. I wonder. I don't know. You know, it was promoted so heavily, did some people kind of treat it that way? And almost think it was kind of in vogue to, to wear a mask and wear one about and, and be proud of it. Um, but now that that has all diminished, it's kind of just like, ah, whatever, it's just, you know, now it's just all political drivel, right? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting thought, anyway. But thank you for writing in. And with that, dear listeners, that wraps up today's broadcast of uh, some just discussion, hopefully varied discussion, on COVID-19. We certainly discussed uh, many different topics, many different aspects, many different uh, implications of the virus, many different uh, listener experiences as well. I hope it was an enjoyable program, and I hope you're able to examine the different viewpoints 
some of the different thoughts expressed, some of the different questions and points of view, and I hope you're able to absorb all of this as a well-rounded discussion, make of each email what you will, and hopefully you've emerged from this, at least seeing these pieces of perspective, and, uh, you know, just with a, hopefully even a tiny, the tiniest, minuscule little uh, increase in understanding of the situation and just what everyone else is going through. So I hope you enjoyed the show. I really give a platform to different views and opinions, even if we don't all agree with them. I really think it should be up to you as a listener to listen and agree or disagree. Any last-minute feedback is welcome at V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this type of show with uh, all the sorts of correspondence and the uh, audio snippets as well, and you enjoyed the pace of this broadcast, and uh, it's something you'd like to hear again in the future, please let me know. I'm open to doing more like this, maybe even on different uh, subjects or topical issues, Um, but I really need to know. I'm kind of just doing this as a test, seeing what you think, so uh, please let me know what you thought of it. Anyway, that's all that we have for now. Uh, As a final note, I think COVID is a real thing, and uh, wherever you are, please be safe, be healthy, and do take care. This is VORW International signing off for now.